On March 8, 2022, while returning from an off-roading adventure in Baja, California, Mexico, I was arrested at a military checkpoint when they found my 40 caliber pistol that I had misplaced in my truck. I was arrested. For the next 58 days, my wife and family were manipulated, extorted, and lied to. This podcast is that story. Today is Thursday, March 24th. It's day 17 of my incarceration. In our last podcast, my wife Megan explained what she'd gone through up to trying to help me get out of prison on my second court appearance. That turned out to be worse than expected. And now it's just a waiting game. Today's yard day. Last night, everybody was excited and getting ready to go to yard today. We're not sure when we're going, but there's rumors that we may go early. When they send the blocks out to yard, it's one block at a time or 12 cells let out at the same time. The way this goes down is pretty interesting. I've already been given the expectation that when we get released as our cell, we need to walk down the hallway in a calm manner, all in a single file line down the three flights of stairs, out into the yard and then stand in a single file line As we walk out along the fence, you have to maintain a walking pace until you get to the entrance of the basketball court and the commissary area. As soon as everyone makes a left into that area, most people break into a sprint to secure their place at the line and commissary. Now that's a whole ordeal by itself. Multiple people will get in line, but every single person that's in line has multiple people coming up to them as they're ordering in the window. So if there may be three people in front of you, but each guy may be ordering for five people in his cell. So it takes forever. The clock is ticking. As I'm out here, all I can think about is I need to use the phone. I know that Mike's got a card number for me that I can use because Megan had put money on his books so that he could get me a phone card. He couldn't get a phone card So he gave me his card number and serial number to use the phone. I was anticipating getting some supplies, deodorant, a razor, and some other things. More importantly, I wanted to see if I could access the money that Megan put on my books so I could contribute to the cell. I really wasn't that hungry and wasn't looking to eat a bunch of snacks, but I wanted to contribute because everyone in the cell shares really well. You open a pack of cookies, and that pack of cookies is spread around throughout the cell. Normally back in the States, I'd open a pack with six cookies in it and eat all six cookies. You don't do that in prison. If you open a packet of cookies, you take one and you pass the rest around. If that bag happens to come back to you and there's a cookie in it, lucky day. So my plan was to go to the window, have my thumbprint checked. I know, it sounds odd that this archaic prison has a thumbprint scanner which never worked by the way, and I would have access to the money that Megan put on my books. Lo and behold, I finally get to the window after about 20 minutes. I scan my thumbprint, it's not working. I walk away from the window, deflated, irritated, and mad that I've just wasted 20 minutes of the literal two hours that I have to come out here and use the phone. 
The other thing that everyone does as soon as they turn that corner, half of them go to commissary, the other half and go reserve phones for everyone else. So if you see an available phone after 20 minutes of people being at yard, yeah, that phone usually doesn't work. So now I head back toward the phones and the phone area, and there are about 60 phones out in the yard. They're a payphone style phone that's outside, and they're well weathered and don't work very well. When you pick up the dial tone, an immediate recording, all in Spanish of course, and words that I've never used, give you instructions to what to do. I see a few phones and I've got my little book with me. That's got the number for Mike's account and it has this, the pin number that I need to make the phone calls. I'm really excited to hear Megan's voice today. I go to the first phone I see available. That phone doesn't work. I go to the next phone that I see available and that one doesn't work. I'm starting to sense a pattern here and every phone that wasn't being used is out of order. So I see some of the guys that are on the phone and I decide to talk to the guys from my cell and get in line to use their phone. Since the line is so long, I decide to go over to the gate and talk to Mike. I said, Mike, I don't have any access to any money. Did you have your number? He says, no, I don't have my number. Well, let's get the guard to give you your number. Maybe they have your number. So after 10 minutes at the gate and talking to the guard, he goes to the shack and gets my inmate number, 2022-416. Well, obviously there's no sense to trying to figure out this pattern. I'm the 416th inmate of 2022. Then back to the food line, I wait another 30 minutes. I get to the window only to get disappointed again. I'm not set up in the system as of yet. So even if I have money, I can't buy anything. Now I've wasted about an hour of time. I go to see Julio and he's on the phone with his family. So I go to look for a phone. The first try is no good. And then Cocho comes up to help me. We put in the number four times, no luck. I feel like time is slipping away. Finally, the fifth time, it works. The ring happens and it seems to take forever. There's a long pause of silence, which on the other end of the phone is explaining in Spanish that someone is making a phone call from a correctional facility. As soon as the phone goes through, Megan says, hey babe, how are you? Instantly, I have a baseball sized lump in my throat and I can't even think right now. Tears are streaming down my face and I can't even speak. At this moment, my two worlds are colliding, being trapped in prison and realizing that I have no access to the freedom and regular life that I have. And now my real life is on the other end of this phone. It takes me about two minutes to compose myself and to be able to utter a sentence. I don't want to cry when I'm on the phone with her, but I'm so overwhelmed by emotion and I'm trying to stay strong. My voice is cracking and she can clearly tell that I'm upset. I'm trying to make jokes to kind of laugh it off that I'm over here crying like a stupid baby. After a few minutes, I'm able to speak. I'm fighting back tears the whole time because I can't help but think about where I should be. I should be at home. I should be doing the things that I normally would be doing right now. Instead, here I am, a thousand miles from home, in a foreign country, 
hot as can be, out in the yard, sweating on the phone. I can't express my frustration and my joy at the same time. As I'm talking to my wife, she's at the office of our business. She's there with my daughter, Ronnie, and we start to talk about what the plan is and what's going on. It's back and forth, and it feels so good to talk to her, and it pains me at the same time because with every word I hear her say, it keeps reminding me that I shouldn't be there, that I should be home. Meanwhile, I ask about the kids. I ask about some of the jobs that I had going before I left, trying to not think about our current situation, literally avoiding the elephant in the room. We talk indirectly about how things are going, and she says, things are looking good, but I can't give you many details. I said, why not? I'll explain to you when you get out, but I can't tell you too much over the phone. I'm a little confused at this point, but I don't want to get frustrated because I just want to talk to my wife. God, I miss her so much. I miss my family. I miss the normal life that I have. This is so foreign to me as I'm listening to her voice and I look around and all I see is guys playing soccer with a basketball on a concrete field. Everybody with a crew cut and I've got the same military mustache everyone else does. My brain is trying to process all of this at the same time, which is emotionally overwhelming for me. We continue to keep talking only to get interrupted. Another Spanish pre-recorded message that tells me I have 60 seconds left. I tell her that I love her, the things that I need, and if she could please send some money to Rudy's mom and also to Eddie's mom so that they can send money Walmart to Walmart so they can deposit them in their accounts so next time we go to yard, I'll for sure have money. So my wife sends $75 to each one of their moms. That comes out to 1,500 pesos each for each of them. I just want to contribute to the cell. I get that out at the last minute. We talk about those things, tell her how much I love her. And in the middle of us having our final concluding conversation, the phone abruptly cuts off. It felt so good to talk to her. It felt so good to hear her voice. I was so happy. And as soon as the phone got off, I was so depressed. There was nothing more disappointing than having to get off the phone with my wife. As I walk away from the phone, the reality of my current situation starts to settle in. The rage inside me is building so much. How angry I am that I'm not supposed to be here. How angry I am that I'm not set up in the system. How angry I am that money's been put on my books I can't get. How angry I am that my wife gave Mike money to make sure I had plenty of phone minutes and I was able to use the phone for about 15 minutes. Not fair. There's about 20 minutes left of yard. Everybody's got their giant feed bags of food and styrofoam containers in giant, clear, hefty bags stacked to the ceiling. Every guy there has at least two liters of Coca-Cola. There's no diet soda there, just straight Coca-Cola. And these guys chug it by the gallons. So for the rest of the yard, I'm a little bit bummed out. At the end of yard, there's a whistle that goes. At that point, every cell needs to line up in a single file line and sit on the floor Indian style with your haul from the commissary. As we sit there, the guards are giving us some sort of lecture or conversation about what's going to be happening in the next week when they're going to go for visits. 
and possibly some of the changes as some of the COVID restrictions start to peel back a little bit. They start with cell one and start to let them go. We're the fifth cell to get up, being in 305. Cell one is the furthest cell in, and they start loading the cells from the deepest part out. As we line up single file and start marching back up to our rooms, up the three flights of stairs and stand at the bottleneck of the opening of the cell block, he opens the gate. We all start marching single file into our, into our respective areas, all the way down where cell 305 is. That cell looks so small from the outside of these bars. I can't even believe we all fit in there. Nonetheless, now we're all coming in there with full, clear garbage bag size bags of food. Well, except for me, I didn't have money on my books, so I'm empty handed. Feeling a little bit irritated about that whole circumstance because A, I don't want to mooch off everybody, and B, I have money that's been deposited, but I couldn't access it. We get inside the cell, the news is on, as I sit on the bunk and start to think about how loud it is, I'm still a little bummed out from being on the phone, talking to my wife. The reality of me sitting in this 12 by 16 room with 18 other guys is just insane. I'm sitting on Eddie's bunk and I'm a little bit down. He's like, hey bro, come up here and have some food. I said, nah, I'm good, man. I didn't buy any food. I don't want to have any food. No, dude, that's not how it works here, man. Get up here and get some food. So I get up. Stand at Pilot's bunk that his bedding's been rolled back and now that becomes the table that two guys stand in the bathroom, two guys stand in the hall, and two guys stand on the other side. And we sit around this bunk and eat. It's now been fashioned into a dining table. The food's passed around the cell like nobody's business. They cut tortas in half and hot dogs in half and spread it around and pass it. There's two groups in the cell. There's the Paisans and the Serenos. The Paisans are Mexican-born Mexicans. The Serenos are American-born Mexicans. All the Serenos speak English, so I'm hanging out with those guys. But at this point, there's two camps that are sharing their food together. And the food's kind of monitored by Rudy and Eddie and Peter as to what goes out. We ended up going to yard at around 9 a.m., which meant we're back in the cell. It's 11, 11.30. They deliver lunch to the rooms and nobody eats it. The guys that don't have money, they cash in because everybody gives their meal to those guys. And I'll tell you, these guys ate every bit of it. After a while, maybe around 12.30 or 1 o'clock, I get summoned to medical. While I was in medical, it asked me if I needed to be in a cell by myself. I said I was fine upstairs with the guys and I don't need to have a cell by myself. He asked me again, are you sure? I thought, I don't know. He says, come with me. They put me in a x-ray machine, start to x-ray my lungs. They both look at my charts and discuss some things. Bring me over and ask me some questions. The person says to me, can you breathe okay? I said, I'm a little short of breath obviously because of the smoke-filled air from everyone burning their garbage in Mexicali and not having windows on the prison. Yeah, I, I think I'm okay. It's a little hard to breathe sometimes and I get lightheaded. Do you see these marks on your lungs? As she points to the x-rays. Yeah. Do you smoke? No. What about ice? Do you smoke ice? No. Well, these lungs you have here look like there may be something in them. We're gonna test you for tuberculosis. Okay, 
not really sure what's going on here, but I sit. Primo's got a Diet Coke. He sneaks over and says, hey, you want a sip of this? I haven't seen anything but water for the past few weeks. And man, I'm excited to see that Diet Coke. So with my hands cuffed, I grab the bottle and I start to drink it down real quick. Either way, they start talking in Spanish, back and forth, back and forth. Just before he sends me back, he mentions to me, we're probably gonna move you into a cell while we check you out. Don't worry, you'll be in a cell by yourself. After talking with Primo for a few minutes longer, get out of medical and head back to my cell. It's a long walk. It's even longer when your wrists are cuffed and your ankles are chained together. I can only move so fast because with my stride and the length of the ankle cuffs, I'm taking half steps. The more I go into my stride, the tighter they get around my Achilles tendon and they start to cut into my ankles. So I'm taking baby steps across the yard. I walk out of medical down a long corridor, out a door to the right into another caged hallway. I walk down this caged hallway for about 50 feet and turn right. At that particular intersection, I can look into notification. That's the area where they take you to meet with your attorney. Mike's desk sits inside that corner. I call out to him, Mike, what's up, buddy? As I walk past, I'm now walking towards the yard. Mike comes out of his desk area and catches up to me. What's up, my friend? How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I just got to get out of here, man. Yeah, no worries. Don't worry, my friend. Things will be okay. I don't know if they'll be okay, Mike. Don't worry, man. Things will be okay. Do you need anything? I said I could use some deodorant if you have any. No problem. Stay positive, buddy. Don't worry. You'll get out of here. I wish I was as confident as Mike was that I was leaving. I'm now headed back up towards the room. Today's Thursday. Coca 3 is on fire. I don't mean literally, I mean figuratively. Today was yard day and everybody is going nuts. Food's passing around, kites are going up and down the hallway at 100 miles an hour and people are slinging food from cell to cell. Crackers, cookies, bags of whatever they can do. Sometimes they take a couple bags of things and shrink wrap them together real tight. It almost looks like a burrito wrapped in clear plastic, but it's usually a bag of chips smashed up and rolled up real tight after they barely cut the corner to let all the air out of the bag. The commerce that takes place in the prison is typically with food. Not much they can get inside there, and the only thing that has any value is food. In the cell we were in, there's a vent on the back wall just above the bathroom. The corner of the steel grate is pried open. When they take that bag of potato chips and just cut the corner, squeeze all the air out, and then smash the chips with their hand, they roll it up real tight so it's almost about the size of a cigar, and they shove it through the hole. They get it far enough into the vent where another guy can grab it from the other cell. Now we're moving stuff between C block, which backs up to the D block, and they're distributing stuff to the guys that didn't get yard or the guys that went to yard and had no money. I'm back in my cell. I'm confused. I don't know what's happening as far as what Megan's working on. I wasn't able to call home that day. I'm a little frustrated. 15 minutes after I show up, a guard shows up, calls my name, tells me to grab all of my stuff and come out. Well, 
I guess they're moving me now. I grab my stuff, step out of the cell. Everybody says, where are you headed to, Bill? I have no idea, guys. Are you going home? They're a little suspect because I just came back from medical and now I'm out of there. Now I'm walking past the other 10 cells or so as I walk toward the staircase that goes down to the first floor. I follow the guard into the lockup area where they cuff you before you walk across the yard. I'm expecting to get cuffed up, but he points me to the right. There's another fence that's blocking off a holding area between two buildings that they've made into a large holding space that's about 20 feet wide, 60 feet long. There's a couple buckets out there that they use for urinals. Those are the porta potties, an open bucket sitting in a yard full of guys. They open the first gate. I walk about 60 feet to the next gate. They swing open the second gate and make a right turn to another steel door. They unlock the steel door and I'm going now into another building that's connected to the main building. As I enter the room, it's super loud. And there's about just as many guys in that first cell with a lot less amenities than what we have in regards to blankets, pillows, privacy, and clothing. I notice there's a guy on the bottom bunk. He's handcuffed one hand to each corner post and one ankle to each lower corner post. So he's essentially strung up on a bunk. Now I'm starting to realize what's going on. This is the medical ward. They walk me to a third cell, past a fourth cell. There's nobody in the fourth cell. Now I get to the last cell, 101. They unlock the door and I'm thinking, I guess this is the cell that I'll be in by myself. As Soon as I turn the corner, I realize there's three guys in there. The guy in the lower bottom bunk is hacking up a lung and can barely breathe. And this guy is sick. There's two other guys in there, early 20s at least. They start talking to me in Spanish right away. I don't speak Spanish, guys, just English. So the one starts speaking to me in English. What's up, buddy? He says, you got tuberculosis too? Oh, crap. They just put me in a cell with guys that have tuberculosis. I thought I was going to be by myself. Right away, they start with the questions. You have tuberculosis? What's up? Why are you here? I said, I don't know, man. I'm not really sure why I'm here. They said, well, you should probably put your mask on just to be safe. I most certainly am putting my mask on right now. He asks me, which bunk do I want? I said, I'll take the middle bunk on the left side. Oh, I was on that bunk. I think to myself, then why did you ask me? So he moves all his stuff off that bunk and moves to the other side. They have a TV strung up above the door and a fan that's sitting on the ground, not plugged in. It's hot outside. There's no windows that are open over here. The glass is all intact. They've got some sort of a swamp cooler and I can tell it's a little bit cooler in here, but I'm starting to sweat because of the humidity. So I ask one of the guys, hey, can you guys hook that fan back up? One who speaks English talks to the other guy and asks him to hook the fan back up. They keep asking me what I'm doing there. These guys are looking pretty nervous because I have no answers as to why I'm there. I just keep telling them I don't know. They start showing me their medication. Did they give you these big red pills? They give you some pills? I said, no, I don't have any pills. What's up? What did they tell you you got? Why are you here? I don't know, man. I just lay out the stuff on my bunk, try to stay cool, 
and I just sit back thinking to myself as I'm listening to the guy on the bottom bunk cough his lungs out and he sounds like he's about to die, grunting and coughing and wheezing. I'm thinking to myself, well, if I don't have tuberculosis, I'm probably going to get it now. Within the next few minutes, there's a lot of chatter going on between the two younger guys back and forth. The one guy who doesn't speak any English goes up to the bars. Oficial, oficial, he yells, calling for the guard. Starts speaking in Spanish and says that they've fixed the pipe in their cell next door. Can they go back to their cell? The guard walks away and comes back a minute later. Within two minutes, these guys have now dragged up all their stuff and their sick buddy off the bottom bunk. It seemed that they were in fear of something. Maybe that they didn't know what I had, but they sure did seem spooked. They hightailed it back to their cell next door, and there I was, in my cell, all by myself. I'm sitting there trying to relax, thinking, this isn't so bad. Then I realize they took the television, they took the fan, and now it's just me in this cell by myself. As I look around, I can see baby flies everywhere. In our other cell, there wasn't any flies. In this cell, there must be a fly hatchery of some sort. I start to cool down. I'm laying on my blanket. Oh, that's right, I didn't mention. The previous week, right after I got moved up to the third floor on Monday, they deliver things that were brought in for you. I received a pair of sweatpants, two pairs of socks, two pairs of boxer briefs, gray in color, and two t-shirts, everything ash gray. So I gave the guys back some of their stuff that they had loaned me. I also got a set of scriptures. That's the only book they'll let your family deliver to you. And I was more than happy to get my scriptures. My faith is real important to me. And I'd been praying like I'd never prayed before at this point, multiple times a day, in the middle of the day, anytime I blinked for longer than a second, I was praying and praying like crazy. God, please get me out of here. Please help me get out of here. Please help me understand why I'm here. Megan brought a journal. In that journal, she wrote a letter to me. Whenever I start getting real lonely, I read her letter over and over. Bill, my love, my life, my everything. This week has been the scariest week of my life. I think of you every moment of every day, and I keep praying that I'm doing the best thing for my sweet husband. There are so many people doing all that they can to help you get out of Mexicali as soon as possible. So much love and support. I'm sending everything that they will let me. A notebook and a pencil was the only thing. They are telling me I will see you Monday for a visit, but I was told I would see you today. I love you so much. I need you in my life. I'm working hard to get you out. I'm sitting outside the jail right now, but Jane and I will drive back to Las Vegas so that I can gather all of the letters and documents that the attorney needs for Tuesday. I'll be back to see you Monday and I'll stay for the hearing on Tuesday. You are my everything. I just want to feel your arms around me, to hear your voice when you walk through the door. I know you'll get out, it's just not soon enough. Andrew really wants to talk to you and he's working hard. Everyone keeps telling me to send love your way. You are just so loved by so many people. Stay strong in there. I'm doing my best to do the same. Love you. Eternally your wife, Megan. Now that I'm in the cell by myself, when I read the letter, it's even harder. 
I have nothing to distract me from how far I am away from my family and my home. I miss my family so much. I'm so angry that I'm here, and it feels so unfair. The first night, I start to think I may be able to enjoy being in a cell by myself. The first night, no one in the cell block goes to bed till about 1 o'clock in the morning. And there's a guy about two cells down that's rumbling in pain and keeps asking for the guard. The medical section that I'm into is off to the side behind two gates. There's no regular medical coming in or out. There's no guards coming in and out on a regular basis. The only time that you'll see anybody is when they're delivering the food. I also noticed this cell has roaches. The one upstairs was quite clean compared to this one. Without a group of guys in this cell, there's no one there to keep it clean. The next morning when I got up to use the bathroom in a groggy daze, when I finished using the toilet, I grabbed my cup, which I didn't see that my toothbrush was in, filled it full of water and dumped it in the toilet to flush the water. Two seconds later, I looked down and my toothbrush is floating in the now kind of clean water. I don't have a choice. I don't know when it'll be till I get another toothbrush. That's right. I had to pull my toothbrush out of the toilet and wash it. The days are super long. Breakfast is still served at 5 a.m. In this cell, there's one space in a window where there are birds getting in here. I was half asleep this morning when I started hearing the noises of a pigeon. I sat up in my bunk and looked out the window. The guy in the cell next door is breaking up his pieces of stale bread and chunks of tortilla and throwing them in the hallway to feed the pigeons. So now I'm dealing with pigeons, flies, and roaches in the cell. In 305, I used to be able to get out to go to medical and get my blood pressure checked. Because the guards hardly come in here, it's usually just the workers delivering food. I ask if I could see the guard and go to medical. They really won't send me to medical because I'm in a medical unit now. The days are super long. The only thing I have to occupy my time is working out and reading my scriptures. You can only read for so long till you get tired. And by the way, I need reading glasses, so it's even more difficult to read. There's no light in the cell and only light in the hallway. So at nighttime, I have to stand up against the bars, put my scriptures outside under the light in the hallway so I can read them. I have to hold them really far away so that I can see them and the font is really small. I keep thinking as soon as I finish my scriptures, somehow I'll be getting released. It's funny the kind of tricks you play on yourself when you're doing nothing but wasting time. I've got to get out of this cell by myself. It's starting to make me crazy. I have no one to talk to, and these days are unbelievably long. The nights are even longer, and I try to sleep as much as I can. I just can't go to sleep on this rusted steel bunk. All I have is my blanket and a bag with my extra clothes that I use for a pillow. At least it's a little cool in here, but there's no windows. I look through a crack in a block wall that's to the right of my cell, and I can see daylight outside. As I look out that every few hours, I try to guess what time it is. I know that breakfast is served at five, lunch is served between 10 and 11, and dinner is served at three to four o'clock. This is making me absolutely crazy. All I hear is everyone's TVs next door, and I just keep swatting flies, trying to figure out how I'm gonna wash anything in the cell because I have no soap. I finally see a guard. I ask him if I can go to medical, he says something to me in Spanish that I'm not quite sure what it was. It looks like he might come back. 
two hours later, I realize he's not coming back and I'm not going to go to medical. I have to wait until Thursday when Primo's back. I have got to see him and I've got to get out of this cell. I usually don't take the bread, but today is Sunday. I kept the bread so I could prepare the sacrament for myself. Man, today's a bummer. I've never felt so alone in my life. It's so hard to get through the days without thinking about your family. I want to think about them, but as I start to think about them, I get really emotional. So I have to try to change my mind to think about something else. The nurse comes by, asks me how I'm doing. I practically beg her to send me back to my cell. Please send me back to 305. I keep telling her that I'm okay. I'm ready to go. She says she'll check. All I can hope is that they'll get me out of here soon. I'm in here for almost five days now, and these have been the five longest days of my life. They call me over to medical. They tell me that they're going to release me. I'm really excited. I ask them to make sure they're gonna send me back to cell 305. Meanwhile, while in holdup, I found out because they thought I had tuberculosis, they pulled all the other guys out of cell 305 and brought them down to medical and had them all tested for tuberculosis. Going back to 305 today, this should be interesting. With COVID and everything here being such a scare, if these guys think I have tuberculosis, this could get kind of weird. Well, they're taking me upstairs now, back to 305. Oddly enough, I'm excited to go back to 305. I don't know how excited they'll be to see me though. This show is hosted by me, Bill Segrinos. Music and audio engineering are by Ryan Connect. Thanks so much for listening. If you're enjoying this story so far and want to show support, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts 